I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. It'll be on the screen, but there's also a Bible in front of you. Thank you for joining us tonight. Well, while we're all seated and as we say goodbye to the kids, why don't we spend another just couple moments, perhaps for the first time today, to just take a moment to quiet yourself, take a deep breath, maybe close your eyes, and would you finish this sentence in your heart? Thank you, God, for... Just take a moment and pray that to Him. And now, God, would you... Lord, we have much to be thankful for, but there is also much in our lives that needs Your hand, Your healing, Your strength, and Your power. So we ask that You would hear our prayers. We ask that You would just be near to us. We know that You are near to us. We ask that we would be sensitive to You. We ask that You would bless our children as they go to hear good news about Jesus Christ, Your Son. We pray that You would inhabit the praise and gathering of Your people this evening and that Your Word would go forth, and that we would look to this church of brothers and sisters who have followed Jesus long before we ever knew the name. We pray that we would see them, we would get a feel of the power that You gave to them, and that we would get up from this place, and that we would go and be good news, and proclaim good news, and that we would be filled to the brim with all the fullness of God, together with all the saints in this Catholic or universal church. Churches that may have different names and different flavors, Lord, we are united to them because we are yours, sons and daughters in the body of Christ. Thank you for gathering this body together this evening. We ask that all your good things and blessings that you would have for us be poured out upon us in the name of King Jesus, the strong one. Amen. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Our brothers and sisters, the very first to follow Jesus together, we're told in verse 23, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His Holy One. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. This is God's Word, and we're grateful for it. This summer in our series, Our Church, we've been wrestling and exploring two questions. The first of them is, who are we called to be? As a church, who is it we're called to be? Then the second question is, what then are we called to do? And as we've talked about, the order is so crucial, not just for our church, but for your life. Who are you before you get up and go and do? Being who you are precedes doing. Because if you're kind of a mess, what you go out and do is going to be a little bit of a mess. So we must focus firstly on who are we called to be and then what are we called to do. One of the answers we've been kicking around this summer in this church is this. We're called to be a church gathering around Jesus, following Jesus together, and proclaiming the reign of Jesus to the world. And here's the thing. At Jesus in our first week, 
We're a church that's gathering around Jesus, abiding in Jesus. We talked about believing church. If we just put all the stuff on the outside and put Jesus and His gospel in the center, we'll be okay. That's what it means to be a church gathering around Jesus. Then we talked about a belonging church. Toby preached and she talked about belonging to one another, committed to one another. That's what I see in following Jesus what? By yourself? Following Jesus together. Then last week we talked about a blessing church. We talked about what it means not only to go and proclaim gospel, but to demonstrate gospel, right? Because Jesus didn't just go out and say, hey guys, I'm going to save you, I'm going to heal you, I'm going to release you, I'm going to give sight to the blind, and then not do anything about it, did he? No! He actually put his hands on people. He put his money where his mouth is. He didn't just proclaim good news, he demonstrated good news. So a church should follow suit. Not just proclaiming, but demonstrating the reign of God to the world. But it doesn't matter if we're not a praying church. You can be a Jesus church, a believing church, belonging church, blessing church, any kind of church, but none of it matters if we're not what? A praying church. The first church knew this. And so what we just read and what we're going to look at tonight, Luke, who wrote Acts, gives us the insight into what a praying church looks like. The very first church, and they were a praying church. He gave us insight to the content, what they prayed, and he gave an insight to how with power and together. And this is a beautiful insight. It's a summary in Acts chapter 4. It's what we're going to look at. And so if none of this stuff matters, gathering around Jesus, following Jesus, or blessing like Jesus, none of it matters without prayer. Why? Because prayer forms us and it fuels us as a church. Prayer forms us and prayer fuels us. What can we learn from the first church, okay? Since we're in a Baptist church and I was ordained as a Baptist minister, y'all better watch out for the seven, six P's to success. You with me? Here's what we're going to look at in this passage tonight. Okay? The first church prayed. What can we learn from them? How did they pray? Number one, in persecution. In the face of persecution, they prayed. Secondly, in praise. They praised God. And then thirdly, it's not a P, but it's a P. They prayed in Psalms, soaked in the Word of God. Number four, they prayed in process. We're going to see. They prayed in the present tense. Number five, they prayed in petition. They get around to asking God to move and work. And finally, we'll see tonight, they prayed in power. You with me? We on it? We a little bit cooler than usual? All right, here we go. Let's look here again at our text this evening. We see a church that's praying in persecution. Now, if you were confused earlier because we just dove right in on that first word, on, their release, we jumped into the middle of the story. We see on the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Well, what had they said to them? We're right in the middle of the story, and what had happened is um, Peter and John were on their way to the temple. They were on their way to the temple, and you can see this beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. Why don't you look there if you have a Bible? It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of what? Prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now we're going to come back to that, but what you need to know at this moment is Peter and John were moseying up to the temple like they had done every day for years, and they were going to pray. But what happens is Peter and John sees a lame man who cannot walk, as you may find many times at the temple, because what they would do is at the times of prayer, there were two, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., they would bring beggars and lame people and blind people to the gates, and they would try to capitalize on people's religious sensibilities, because don't you... Aren't you just really nice when you're headed to church? You kind of clean up. I put on a button-down shirt. They're all nice, and they go to church. They go to the temple for prayer. And these lame people, blind people, begging people will come, and they're asking for money. And so what Peter and John do is they say the famous, silver and gold have I none. Basically, hey, dude, I don't have any cash. And so what they tell this lame man who cannot walk, they say, 
I don't have any cash, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And they say this powerful statement in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And if that wasn't crazy enough, when they say that the dude actually gets up and walks. Now, we can read Acts and we can read these things in the Gospels and we say, oh, yeah, things were different then. But the reality is they're using the same name and filled with the same spirit and they're doing incredible things. And it was so incredible that later on in verse 11, you begin to see of chapter three that all these people gathered around. They said, wait a minute. This dude is 40 years old. I've seen this guy every single Sabbath begging for money and I've never seen him walk. And so they gather around a place called Solomon's portico or colonnade or porch. And they gather around and they say, Peter and John, what the heck just happened? And then Peter looks at him and says, why are you so surprised? He says, do you just think that I'm so spiritual or that I have so much power in myself that I could just do this on a whim? He says, no, 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 no. He says, here's what happened. This guy named Jesus of Nazareth, who all of you nice religious Jewish people rejected, God had anointed Messiah. You rejected him, but God glorified him. He died, he was raised, and we did this, watch, in his name. So what happened is Peter and John, they go to the lame man and they demonstrate the reign of God and say, get up, dude, let's go. Then when all the people come around after they demonstrated the reign of God, they preach in the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Then you get to chapter four, because here come all the big wig religious elites and they see this hubaloo. Y'all know what a hubaloo is? It's a Greek word and it's in this tent. I'm just kidding. They see the big hubaloo and the chief priests, the elders, a group called the Sanhedrin. Did y'all remember that word Sanhedrin? It's basically the Jewish Supreme Court. They snatch them up and say, what just happened? I mean, it was awesome, but wait a minute. Seriously, what just happened? And so then Peter says, I am proclaiming what? In the name of Jesus. I did this in the name of Jesus. He says, filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Then he quotes their scriptures at him. This is chapter 4, verse 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says this in verse 12, powerful, underline it, highlight it, write it on your bathroom mirror. This is powerful. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Name, 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 name. So they throw him in jail for the night to stew it over. And then the Supreme Court of the Sanhedrin, they say, okay, here's the deal. We don't really know what to do with you because you know what? An old guy's walking and that's pretty rock and roll. But here's what we will tell you. Stop preaching and acting in the name of Jesus. And so then what happens? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Now, isn't that funny? Peter and John were good Jewish people, nothing against the Jewish people, except now after following Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, their people become followers of Jesus, not just Jewish people. There's a new people on the scene. They go back to their people and they're going to report all that the chief priests and the elders had to say to them. Basically, hey, they told us to shut up and stop preaching in the name. Let me just pause before we really get into it and tell you the first little tidbit that I learned about prayer and about power from the first church. And that's this prayers. Our prayers should not be generic prayers. They are powerful in the name of Jesus. We are Jesus people. So all this business of in your name 
that has become the habit of us. I'm not being legalistic and saying, don't go saying in your name, but it's something to the fact that we act and speak and pray on Jesus' behalf for Jesus' sake, in Jesus' name, because there's no other name on heaven and earth by which men are saved except the name of Jesus. And so here's the funny thing, is that it's not a magic formula, but what separates Christian prayer from Buddhist prayer, from uh, other people, Jehovah's Witnesses' prayer, all these other things, let that be their thing, okay? That's okay. God will sort it out. I don't know who God's listening to, but I know that He has made Jesus the Messiah, the only name under which heaven and earth, under heaven that people can be saved. So I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. And so that's what we see is this name, name, name. And we see this power welling up in this first church, even in the face of persecution. They come back, they tell them what the elders and chief priests have said. And then in verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Verse 24, in the face of persecution, They didn't run from God. They ran to God. Peter and John come back on the scene. They tell them what's going on. And if it were me, and if it were you, would we sit there and say, we have got to move. When it gets tough, do we pack up and head for the hills? When it gets tough, do you throw your hands up and say, well, you know what? I'm suffering, therefore Jesus may not be real. Well, things are tough and I'm going to let my circumstances dictate my reality. Therefore, I'm going to question all the good that God has for me. As if we do not fall in line behind brothers and sisters for centuries who even in the face of suffering say, Jesus, I'm going to call on you. Because watch, Jesus suffered. And it was through suffering on the cross that Jesus saved us. When I worked with recovery ministries for years and years, this was one of the most powerful things for me. Is I find that a lot of addicts and people in recovery, such as myself at the time, we had a history of running from God. Not just when times are tough, but when we sin. Yes? Because when you're a little kid and you know you broke something, that nice vase, or you colored in Sharpie on the walls, or you dropped a bunch of stuff on the carpet that we have to clean, not saying that any of this is from experience of two toddlers, but what happens is you want to run from mom and dad, and so ramp that up to patterns of destructiveness or addiction or sin, and you feel dirty, and therefore a holy God that you heard preached about your whole life must really, really hates you. He must really be angry with you. But the thing about in the name of Jesus is Jesus has revealed a God that is embracing the world, reconciling the world, 2 Corinthians 5, not counting their sins against them. Jesus paid for all of our sins on the cross. How many of our sins? All of our sins, even the messy, filthy stuff that makes you want to go run and hide. I'm here to tell you the reason you want to run and hide is not the spirit, because the spirit is going to bring you back into Abba's arms because Jesus not only revealed what God was like, he told us what to call him Dada. Come into my arms. I will wash you. I will restore you. I am the father of the prodigal son that will look for you and embrace you, not chastise you and scorn you. Do we run from God or do we run to God? Are you running tonight? I'm here to tell you that if your times are tough, it is much better in the shadow of his wings as a rock and a refuge. If you are mired in sin and shame, I'm here to tell you, repent and find welcome and grace and healing. He is not out to get you. He is out to get you back. Okay? We see these people in the face of threats, in the face of persecution. They don't go griping to each other. They get on their knees and they pray to God. See, here's the thing. 
I struggle with prayer. Most of my life has not just been running from God. It's been spits and starts of trying to run to Him and talk with Him. Because here's the deal. We train people how to read the Bible. We train people how to go and serve. We train people how to preach, how to lead worship, how to do all the good Christian things. But when it comes to prayer, many times we just tell our people, hey, just go figure it out. Go talk to Jesus. And when we look at these people, we look and say, how are they able to just immediately go to God in prayer? How are they able together to rouse up such power in the Holy Spirit? That's because they didn't run a marathon overnight. When I think of praying and how I've struggled, I think of my life as a jogger. And that is, I am not a jogger. We see these people coming back and their knee jerk is to pray to God. And it's because they have been trained. When I ran a 5K, did I say run? When I walked a 5K, it was because Amy had worked at Children's Medical Center and it was a fundraiser and they had a team. And so I said, yeah, dude, I can do that. I don't know what it's 5,000 of, but it can't be that long. And, you know, 5K, you with me? Yes, it's not 5,000 miles. So let's go do this thing. And so I start to jog and I make it about 5,000 inches. And so what happens is I begin to walk because I thought that I could just wake up and run it because I'm an idiot. And when I look at prayer and I see these people that are about to pray a brilliant, beautiful, powerful prayer, in persecution, praise, psalms, process, all these things I told you. And I said the difference between them and I is that they were trained, and I think, frankly, we're not trained in prayer. You know, when the disciples came to Jesus, they came through the door of Judaism. And when I mentioned earlier in Acts chapter 3 at the beginning of our story tonight, when did Peter go to the temple? Do you remember in verse 1 of chapter 3? It's not on the screen. He went at the hour of prayer. The thing is that Jesus and Peter and John and all the good Jews grow up and they go to pray at least twice a day, set times, 9 a.m., 3 p.m. They were trained to pray. They were trained to get the rhythm of their day into praying. When they'd wake up in the morning, they would say the Shema, which means hear. And they would say Deuteronomy 6, what we know as the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. How many of you took the Jesus Creed class in this church? Everyone that's not here tonight, except for three of you, four of you, thank you. In the Jesus Creed class, we were learning to pray the Shema, the greatest commandment, to keep that on our hearts. The disciples had been trained in prayer through Judaism. When Peter and John went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, you know what he did not say? Ah, just go talk to Jesus and figure it out. Now, Jesus often dismissed their questions out of hand and said, man, you guys are totally off base. Hey, Jesus, where are we going to sit? You know, at your right hand or your left? He says, that's not for you to decide. You're so off base. Hey, Jesus, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents? No, 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 no. You're, you're way off track. But when they said, teach us to pray, what did Jesus say? When you pray, say. And he gave them the Lord's Prayer. He gave them the words to say. He trained them. These people had been trained. The Acts church were able to run to God in prayer, even in the face of persecution, not only because they had grown up in the Jewish training gym of prayer, not just because these followers of Jesus had been taught the prayer, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's not on the screen, but you know it because it's powerful in this church. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to the what? I said the. Many translations don't just say to prayer. Many say the prayers. Many New Testament scholars are thinking that the first church had the Lord's Prayer. Had things that Paul wrote when we see later on, years later. Things like uh, Christ who was in the very form God emptied himself like Philippians 2. 
They're thinking that they were training disciples in prayer with the prayers, not just go out and riff. It's not getting a band together of improvisational guitar soloists. They're coming in and they're giving them sheet music. If this is at all interesting to you, I want to invite you to a class in which we will learn to pray together. If I can take a quick pause and give a promo for the fall class, this is something that is born out of many conversations I've had with you all and many conversations with me about how is it that we're not running to God in persecution? How is it that we're not running to Him daily and training? I want to learn together how to pray. And beginning at Labor Day, we're going to do the school of prayer. This is super cheesy, isn't it? Do you notice the font? Like Rolling Stone? My goodness, let's just wrap it up. I still got like five more points. Listen, dude. I didn't mean I was, I didn't know I was going to talk about school of prayer now, but I am. We're going to learn together. We're going to look at prayers. We're going to have a guest speaker who has ordered his life around times of prayer. We're going to form together a rule of life, a rhythm of life. This guy is St. Benedict. He wrote for the very first time for monks how it looks to order your life in the ways of those who've gone before. Where prayer is not just spits and starts or when you wake up early enough. But what if you actually trained for the 5K and didn't just wake up to do it, but you got the app couched to 5K and you started with five minutes tomorrow? Are you with me? Is this something that is remotely of interest to you? On Tuesday nights, could we gather together and try praying together like the first church did? Could we look at the Jesus prayer? Could we look at the Psalms? Could we look at Paul's prayers? And could we have a conversation about it? And could we work something out together that says what works for Adam as a pastor who lives and works from home? You live at home, though, right? I just said lives and works at home. Could something that works for Adam be different for you? Yes. Could we find it out together? But that's the other key. They ran to the Lord, even in persecution, together. Look here. They were released. They ran to God in prayer. And they said what in verse 24? They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Could we pray together, a praying church together? Because none of the stuff about who we're called to be or called to do matters if we're not praying. Look out for prayer school. You'll hear more about it in the weeks to come. And you will also hear about some elder-led prayer that we will be beginning once a month to gather together with Bud and I and other people and pray for God's power to work in our midst, in our neighborhood. Because none of this matters if we're not a praying church. You still with me? I just spent like 20 minutes on point number one. But they still got a lot of praying yet to do. Let's keep looking at their prayer from the first church and see what we can learn. They raise their voice together and then they launch firstly into a praise of who God is. What's the first thing you do when you sit down to pray? Maybe you say like, Father or God. What do you say after that? If you're like me, you probably say, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. You take the grocery list of stuff, and that's okay. But you know what? Could we learn from this first church? When they start, they say, Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You know, when they raised their voice together, probably what happened was one guy or two guys or three ladies were praying and a lot of people were with them and saying amen, yes? But probably what happened in this passage where it says they said, Sovereign Lord, they were looking at the prayers. This is a liturgical formula, a working formula for people to come together. But it was a way to praise, to start with praise. And when we praise, like Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed, blessed. He taught us to praise him. Why? Because here's another tidbit about prayer. Praising who God is and what He's done roots us in reality. 
praising who he is and what he's done, reminds us that he is our reality. He is our strength. He is our peace. And so therefore, why should I be afraid? They were praying in praise. They got rooted in who he is and what he's done before they started into the grocery list. Are you with me? It roots them and perhaps even changes, watch, how they ask and what they ask. It changes their perspective because if God is sovereign and in control and creator and master over all of his creation, why should we fear the elders and chief priests? If they killed Jesus and God raised him, why should we be afraid when all they told us to do was shut up? This grounds them and roots them in who God is and what He's done. They prayed in praise. And they took this role and this example because they had prayed the Psalms. We've talked about Psalms as answering speech or, yes, that's the words I want to say. That's exactly what they did. They praised God, Creator, and powerful, sovereign Lord. Then in verse 25, they give the amen to the Psalms when they didn't have the words themselves. What did they say? You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And they quote Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Praying God's word gives us the words when we don't have them ourselves. Do you remember two weeks ago I preached Psalm 23 because I couldn't prepare a sermon. I had just prayed Psalm 23 and it just kind of came out. I mean, I did prepare a sermon. I typed some stuff up and printed it. But it was giving me words when I didn't have them. I learned to pray not only because Jesus taught us, not only because we spit and stutter and try and train, but because, watch, I've heard my dad pray. I've heard my seminary professors pray. I've heard pastors pray pray. I've heard you pray. It is okay to learn to pray from others. We do this together. So what kind of prayers are you praying for your kids? How are you shaping a view of who God is and what he can do in your prayers? They're listening to you for better or for worse. God help us. Could we learn to pray together? Could we soak our prayers in the words of the scriptures and say, amen, yes, that's what I wanted to say. I just didn't know how to say it. So the reason they picked this psalm, Psalm 2, is because this is a psalm that is so top of mind and heavy on their hearts. They had known this because this psalm is about people rejecting God and his Messiah, the Israel Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Why would this be top of mind? Because they didn't just pray in Psalms, they prayed in process. Or if you like better, they prayed in the present, in the present tense. They're persecuted, they're rooted in praise, they pray the scriptures, and it's all a filter for their present situation. What does it say in verse 27? Indeed, amen, Herod and Pontius Pilate, met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Take five seconds and look at the passage right before that in the Psalms and tell me that verse 27 is not a spit for spit, take for take, spitting image of what they just prayed in the Psalms. Tell me I'm lying. It is an exact restatement. They use the filter of who God is to say, why should we be afraid? Then they use the Psalms to say, oh, I think God is up to something. I think that this intersects with my day today. I prayed and see that nations in the Psalm, and then he names Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, which are the other nations. Then he said they conspired against your holy servant, Jesus. Look in, Psalm, in verse 26 band together against the Lord, His anointed one. This is a restatement, and it's a realization of Scripture. Ah, I get it. Now all of a sudden, the Bible is not just a dead book that we hear about for 40 minutes each Saturday, 
and we open up occasionally through our week because we've not been trained to pray or to read formatively. The scriptures came alive and it was in process. Pray, prayer as a way to process God's work in our world. You know, one of the things about Amy and I in our relationship, we're talkers. We're both talkers. I've already been talking a lot tonight, yes? Just imagine what it's like to be married to me. You think that Amy hears this just one time Saturday at 5 o'clock? She hears my whole intro like Saturday morning at 9 a.m. It's terrible. But one of the things we do at the end of our days every day is we kind of debrief the silly and mundane things of our day that nobody else would want to hear. Like the other day, I was in a library, I was studying, I was kind of looking at this passage, and I was on the second floor, and below me, I heard somebody going, and, I'm, and it's like dead silent, I'm the only person, it's in a dang library. And, I'm, and then I hear, and I'm like, what is going on? And so I go down, and I get on all fours, and I listen to the air duct, and I hear this guy going, and I'm like, oh, I need to call, like, I need to go figure this thing out. I need to go call 911. Well, it turns out that I'm on top of a recording studio in this seminary, and I go downstairs, I walk up, oh, it's just some guy, like, recording some random thing. This story is not that great, is it? <laughs> but guess what? I called Amy and said, oh, man, you're never going to believe this. And she's like, yeah, that's crazy. Well, I was getting gas today, and I'm not even going to try because I made fun of her really badly last week. But let's just say that we have at the end of our day a marital debrief. Do you have a marital debrief? Are you talking about the mundane details of your day? Side note, our single people have no outlet for this probably unless they have roommates. So you know what would really maybe bless some of our single folks? To call them up and say, hey, tell me all the crazy dumb things that happened in your day. I don't know. Would it? Maybe not. You don't need to process that? Well, that's the marital debrief, but it's part of processing your day. <laughs> that's what happens when you go out on a limb, I guess. So there's a spiritual debrief in prayer. Another monk, a guy named Ignatius of Loyola, he started the Society of Jesuits. Have you all heard of the Jesuits? They started the prayer of the examine, and they examine their day. If you're not a morning person, you can go at the end of your day, and you can do the spiritual debrief, and you can say, God, as I replay the events of my day, do I see places where you are at work? That's what this church is doing. Wow, Jesus was handed over by the nations and crucified. And as they go and reflect back, it intersects with that scripture the Holy Spirit gave to them. And they go back and see, God, maybe you are at work. Then they go back through their day, as the Jesuits do in the prayer of examine. They say, where was I out of step with you? This is how Jesus taught us. Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespassed against us. It's that way of going back and debriefing your day, processing your day through prayer. And you say, where was I in step? Where was I out of step? It's a way we can learn to pray with the events and God's work in our world. Now notice, have they asked for anything yet? Yes or no? Have they asked for something? They haven't. When I pray, I start immediately into the can you, can you, can you, can you please help, 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 help. And that's not wrong, but they've already filtered this through who God is, how he's at work, through his word. Then finally, they pray in petition. Because prayer is a genuine dialogue. It's not just a nice, fancy, sweet experience or a grocery list. It's training. It takes work. And they're grounded before they ask. And here's what they ask. Verse 28, which I meant to read earlier and didn't. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Let me come back to petition in a moment and just finish up the trail of thought I was getting at. They were processing God's work in the world. And this verse, what it's after is this. It didn't surprise God that they killed his Messiah, Jesus. Did it? And so God had planned for the Messiah to suffer. We see this centuries before in places like Isaiah 53. And then through reflection, they see, oh, yes, God was not surprised. 
It was his will that Messiah should suffer. But somehow, and live in this tension, Herod and Pilate and all these people they've named chose by their free will to hand him over to be crucified. God had set it out and said, the last stop of the train of Jesus' life is suffering and death and resurrection. Somewhere along the way, God knew before the foundation of the world that the lamb would be slain. You with me? And the tension is this. I do not believe, and I think Scripture stopped just short of saying, he made Herod and Pilate hand them over. But in his power, he knows that he's going to bend the events of history toward the end last stop of the train. He knows he will recreate heaven and earth. And he knows that people will sin and reject him. But he is going to bend that train and bend that power working under all the other plans that conspire against him. And he knows that his train, his will, will land safely at the end. So there is some tension here that the Messiah was slain before the foundation of the world, but Peter, throughout his sermons in this book, says, you crucified Jesus, but it was according to God's plan. Is that clear as mud? Why don't you figure it out and tell me and write a book? Because it's still a mystery to me. But I am comfortable to say that God will accomplish His will. And He has also ordered the universe in such a way where He's let us make choices for better or for worse. That's how I see God at work. They processed it, then they're going to ask Him about it. You with me? You still doing okay? Notice what they're not praying for first. They're not asking Him to smite His enemies. They're under persecution, but they didn't say, just go and kill Him. Like the Psalms. They didn't pray for destruction. They didn't also pray for avoiding persecution. What did they pray for? Look, now, Lord, consider their threats. Lord, look at this. This is a mess. It is okay to say, God, turn your face and your ear to me. It is okay for our nation to say, look at all these people being killed, innocent lives for the color of their skin. It's okay to say, God, bring justice. It is okay to look and say, there are 750,000 people dying of unclean drinking water. God, do something about this. It is okay to say that. Consider this. Lord, consider their threats against us. And it's okay to say, bring justice. That is what we see in the scriptures of Psalms. Lord, judge these people. Bring all things into proper balance. If not now, we trust you will in the end. They're saying, consider these threats. God, pay attention to this. Look at injustice. So watch. Pray for God to restore things. Pray for things to be made right. That's what we learn. Then they pray this. What? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Do you remember what started this whole prayer meeting? Peter and John came back and said, well, they told us to shut up. What do they pray for? God, help us not shut up, but speak louder. They didn't pray, God, just help us stop with the persecution. Rather, Lord, would you lead us into great boldness, even down a road that will bring us more opposition. But would you do it with your power? Verse 30. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the, here it is again, the name of your holy servant Jesus. God, remember the ones that they rejected? Remember the nations raging and plotting against them? We've not rejected him. And would you continue to work out in his name powerful signs and wonders? We've not rejected him, but we're praying that his kingdom would come more and more. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Stretch out your hand, Lord. Watch and heal and perform and feed and, and work in power. And Lord, would your kingdom come in your name and even through us? Lord, would we be the answers to our prayers when you've called us to be the answer to our prayers? And in those places where we cannot, 
would you stretch out your hand and do it on your behalf for us? Lord, would your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? They were told to hush, and instead they asked that they would just speak even louder in the name of Jesus. So that was the form of their prayer, and finally we see them pray in power. God answered their prayer, and it says that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Has this ever happened to you? Maybe if you live in Irving, where the earthquakes are, you thought you were just reading like our daily bread and things were just kind of nice and quiet, and all of a sudden the place starts shaking. That's pretty rock and roll. In this place... It's an unusual area and time when God gives a physical response and watch, an immediate answer. Look what he says. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Did they not just pray that they would be boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus? Then they go out and proclaim boldly in the name of Jesus. I think because they had been grounded in prayer and trained in prayer, and they had not just woken up and ran a 5K overnight. They had been working their prayer muscles, even when it didn't feel good, even if it was five minutes. And it's probably something for us to wonder, why has the place not shaken? And I don't just mean that we need to go around saying, God, give us a sign. We'll only be satisfied if really neat things happen God is not a magic genie that will just do immediately what we ask Him to do. But if we are a praying church, we would commit to pray, to be formed in prayer, shaped by prayer, and then sent in prayer like these people, in boldness to proclaim, because prayer formed them and it fueled them to go out and do this. We can't run marathons overnight. We can't expect for God to set people free from addiction if we're not training ourselves and being a persistent widow, knocking on the door of God on high and saying, would you work and stretch out your hand? Would you work and stretch out your hand? Would you work and stretch out your hand? Now, I'm not saying it's always going to be like that. Just go pray more. I am saying, train yourself to pray. And when it happens, you won't be surprised. Now, Jonah, I think of a guy we preached last summer, he had run from God. He had not been trained to prayer. But you know what? He was at the end of his rope. He was drowning in the sea. And at the very last minute, he said, help me, God. And God helped him. Sometimes God gives you an immediate prayer, even if you hadn't been praying for six months. Okay? But what I'm telling you is, would you go without talking to your best friend or wife for six months and expect it to be a good marriage? This is what I'm after when I'm talking about training ourselves in prayer. Would you do it together? Would you be formed? And could we look at this church and see what can we learn about prayer? It's not just persecution, praise, psalms, process, petition, and power. All the six P's to success. Really, it just comes down to this. It comes down to devotion and dependence. It comes down to putting yourself before the Lord each day, even for a few minutes, as a praying church together, saying, God... I praise you, even in the midst of my circumstances. God, when I don't have these words, could I look to the other words of people and just be devoted? And then secondly, to be dependent. Prayer is an expression that we need God. You with me? We're weird people. We believe that Jesus who spoke then and walked then is actually speaking and walking today. I know it's hot. But the point I'm trying to make is prayer is an admission that you don't have all your crap together and you need help. Prayer is a place where you put yourself to God and say, I need you to move and I need to see who you are and what you've done. When our church is devoted and dependent on God, we can run together in his power, just like this church, because the same spirit in them is with us. And we can be formed to be the people we are and to go out and do what he's called us to do. Let us pray and let us come to the table together in the name of King Jesus. Tonight we'll close after we sing a prayer of help me. We'll say the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So I'd encourage you after I say amen and we stand to sing. Before you come or after you come to the table, would you just... Maybe pray 
the Lord's Prayer, if you don't have the words yourself, would you just sit in stillness and just begin to train yourself for the race that we have to run? Let's start now. Don't wait till tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. Start tonight. Let's pray. Abba, we're so grateful. We praise your name because of who you are. A father who loves us, who cares for us gently, but is also strong, the ruler and creator of all things, giver of life and breath and food and all good things. We're grateful and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word and we pray that we would be soaked in it. We pray that we would see you at work. And Lord, we ask that our church would be devoted and dependent, that we would be a praying church, and that we would not be surprised when your power shows up as we preach and demonstrate the reign of God in our midst, in Garland, in Dallas, in Mesquite, in Rowlett, in Richardson, in all the places you've called us. So Lord, we ask that your power would fill us again. Lord, we know that you are within us. We're not asking for a second gift or a second blessing, Lord. We're asking for a renewal. We're asking that you would anoint us and empower us to do what you've called us to do because we can't do it without you. Lord, I pray for the blind who are struggling to see you, that they would receive sight in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are captive by sin and shame. I pray that you would loose the chains in the name of Jesus. I pray for those who are poor, who don't even have a whiff of you at this moment. They're poor in spirit. They're poor in their bank accounts. I pray that you would give them what they need before they even ask. That they would scrape the bottom of the barrel and say, help my unbelief and find you good and find you present. So Lord, as we find you present in the bread and the wine, we remember our Savior who suffered and save the world through suffering, not around suffering. We ask that we would take him into our bodies and abide in him as he in it abides in us. And that we would go boldly as these brothers and sisters prayed so many years ago to proclaim the reign of our king who suffered, died, was buried, and is now raised again and seated at the right hand of your throne. We pray that we would go out and be good news and preach good news. And we ask that you would hear us as we pray and sing. Amen. Let us now pray with the words of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Let's say this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.